with us for the afternoon session and we're awake through the afternoon session. Uh, you'll remember that we looked at uh, unity uh, in Christ as believers. We should be unified in the first part of Philippians chapter 2. That we shouldn't do live a life out of selfish ambition. That selfishness always brings conflict, destruction. Uh, it destroys everything it touches. But um, it talks that in humility we ought to esteem others better than ourselves and that we ought to look uh, to the example that Jesus gave who came and humbled himself uh, to the point of becoming a man and then humbled himself on the cross. So here we... Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul is exhorting the believers here and uh, begin reading in, if you can follow along in verse 12 of Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word tonight, we ask that your spirit would be our guide uh, through these verses that we look at. That you would show us our areas of need, that we might be encouraged that we might be strengthened to do what your will and your word are teaching us. Lord, I ask that you would give me the words to say that you would guide everything that that I speak, that it would be pleasing to your sight, that it would be pleasing to your ears. Lord, we desire to uh, be a church body that brings you glory. And I pray that through our time together tonight, you may be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So last week we looked at uh, being unified in Christ, and here in verse 12 he starts out and he says, therefore, looking back to how Christ humbled himself, and it says that Christ humbled himself and God highly exalted him above every name, so ought we also to humble ourselves before the hand of God, before God, and to place ourselves under his authority, just as Jesus the Son placed himself under the Father, so we ought to also humble ourselves and place ourselves under God our Father. But here in verse 12, he says, where we are getting to today, uh, he says that we are to, as they have always obeyed the believers he is writing to, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So this idea of work out your salvation, it means to carry it out to completion, to work it to its full completion. Now we know that that Paul is not saying here that we are to work for our salvation. He is not saying that 
You need to do good works to earn your salvation. Uh, in Ephesians 2, it talks that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's not our doing that salvation has come. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that any man should boast. So it's not, salvation is not accomplished through works that you and I do, because if it were, we would say, look, I have I what I have been able to accomplish. I have achieved salvation. Um, so he, Paul is not saying in this passage that you need to work for your salvation. But what he is saying is that we ought to work out your salvation, carry it out to its completion. Now, the work of, of salvation, of forgiveness, um, was completed in Jesus Christ, but he's saying what God has given you in salvation, put it to work in your life. Don't just, uh, okay, I understand what Christ has done. He has saved me from hell. My home is in heaven, and now I can just sit here and do nothing. But he is saying, put your salvation to work in your life. So it's not about earning your salvation or even keeping your salvation. Otherwise, if it was based on keeping our salvation, we would be earning our salvation in a way. But he is saying, put it to work. So work out your salvation. Work out your salvation individually. Bringing it down to personal responsibility. He says, uh, work out your own salvation. Now, I think it's important that he points out that how individual it is. I am to work out what God has done in my life and put my salvation to work in my life as you are to put your salvation to work in your life. It is not my responsibility or job to come and say, now you you need to be doing this and you to go to other people in the body and say, now you need to work out your salvation in this area. It's taking personal responsibility. Uh, I think of how... Often as a a kid, you would hear, now you just take care of yourself and we'll take care of your siblings, right? And you have enough to take care of just in worrying about yourself. There's enough there that will keep you busy for the rest of your life. You take care of your own. Now, this does not mean we don't minister to other people, but work out your own salvation. After the price that Christ paid to buy you back from sin and death, we should live a life to please him. And it says to do it with fear and trembling. Your salvation is of great value. Not only great value, it should be to you and you should value it, but it was great value. Think of the value that Christ paid to buy you back from being a slave to sin. So here you were, a slave to sin, no way out of sin on your own, and Christ paid the price for you to be bought back, the value of your sin. And he says, work out your salvation individually. Don't get distracted by what other people are or are not doing. Work it out in your own life. But then he says, work your salvation out with fear and trembling or fear and obedience. Um In the first part of verse 12, he is um, encouraging the believers and he says, you have been obedient in my presence. 
But don't just do it in my presence. Also do it when, when I am, uh, when I am away. As, as a parent, uh, if your children go over to somebody's house, you hope that they are on as good as or better behavior, normally better behavior, than when they are in your house, right? You're like, I hope they, when they're eating, I hope they're minding their manners. I hope they're, I hope they're not being little pigs when they're eating. Um, you hope that the things that you have tried to teach your kids, they will not only do in your presence, but when you are away. Now, Paul is encouraging them. He says, you guys have done a great job of, of following my teaching, of being obedient in my presence, but now do it when I am no longer with you. It's kind of taking, I want you to take that next step. I've been there holding your hand, guiding you this far, but now you guys are needing to take that next step of growth and faith in your life and work, and, and take obedience into your own hands. You know, uh, if we really understood God's presence with us, I think we would take obedience a little bit more seriously. When you know as a child that your parent is watching you, you know the, that the authority is watching you. You take obedience a little more seriously. When you're driving down the road and you see a police officer, do you think about your speed? Do you think about, okay, do I have my seatbelt on? Do you think, do you take it a little bit more seriously? What you're doing because you see, hey, there's an authority that has power to write me a ticket. If we understood that God saw and was with us, we would take obedience to a whole new level. Plato uh, illustrated obedience this way. He said, obedience is like responding to somebody who is knocking on your door by getting up to go and answer it. So it's putting it into motion. It's not, okay, just hearing, but it's putting it into motion. Uh, now with cell phones, maybe you don't race to answer your phone. But when the, when the phone was on the wall, I can, I can remember as a kid, it would be a race to see who would get to grab the phone off the wall and answer it, right? There may have been some fighting and some uh, disputings going on to get to the phone. It used to be fun to answer the phone, and now it's, it's not anymore normally. But there was, when that phone would begin to ring, there was a response. There was an act of obedience, if you will, of putting into motion to try to get to respond to the call. Just as the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are continually knocking on your heart, seeking that you will respond and obey to the prompting. Now, we have the option of like your cell phone, you can push a button on the side to silence it. Just just with God's promptings in our life, there are things that we can do to silence God's promptings by not acknowledging, not obeying, not doing what he is telling us. So he says, work out your salvation with fear and obedience, fear and trembling. It is a... a healthy fear, a reverence of knowing that God is God. He is the ultimate authority. 
Uh, J.B. Lightfoot said, there ought to be a nervous and trembling anxiety in the believer to do what is right before God. You know, we focus so much sometimes on God's love for us and, and God, uh, and he truly does love us, that sometimes we want to lower God to our level. And we lose that healthy fear and reverence of, Lord, I don't want to live a life that fails you. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22, it says that to obey is better than sacrifice. That obedience to God, God places a high priority on obedience. So work out your salvation individually. Do it with fear and obedience. And do it knowing that God is the one who is at work in you. So we say work out your salvation, but it is God who is at work in you. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is the one who is working in your life, bringing your salvation to completeness. As we read in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, being confident that God who began the work in you will bring it to completion. So the power to do what is right in your life is coming from God. He is the one who is at work in you. Um, we, we read that uh, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 that there is no one who seeks after God. In and of our own fleshly desires, we don't seek after God. It is God's working in you to bring you to the point of salvation, but then continually working in you to make you more Christ-like, to bring your salvation to completion. If we were to bring in some experts into your home this week, and we were to say, we've, we've lined up some people that are going to come into your home uh, just to help you with some, some different things. Uh, we have lined up uh, for the week, and she'll be making stops in your home. We've lined up Martha Stewart to come in and help give you uh, financial advice. No, not financial advice. Uh, to come in and help give you some uh, cooking instruction. And uh, so you can sign up in the back, and she'll come in, and she'll be giving you some cooking instruction if you would like. Uh, we also have Joanna Gaines will be uh, coming. And if you would like her to come to your house and give you some decorating tips, uh, she'll be with us. Um, we also have lined up uh, Coach Ference. He will be talking on leadership and, and coaching and football. Um, we also have Phil Mickelson lined up. We'll be um, renting the community center and giving some golfing instruction if, if you would like to. Now, if you had a one-on-one session with them, and you said, okay, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with, with Phil Mickelson on, on golfing. He's going to help me you know, show me what I need to be doing. I would take very seriously what the advice that an expert was giving me. If Joanna Gaines came into your house and was giving you decorating tips, you would probably take very seriously her opinion. Oh man, I never thought of doing that. Oh yeah, let's, let's do that right now. How much is that going to cost? Can we do this right now? You would take very seriously because these are people that we hold as, man, these are, these are high quality people in their fields. They're experts in their fields. Man, compared where I am and where they are, 
in golf or whatever the issue might be, I am going to listen. I'm going to be uh, maybe recording it on my phone so I can go back and play it later of, okay, what did they tell me I should be doing here? We are not talking about a human expert that is giving us some advice. What we see here is it says that God is working in you. This is not God saying, you know, it would be nice, you know, you could do this with your life, you could change this with your life. If for fallen people we value their opinion enough that we would say, man, I'll, I'll change my whole golf swing stroke, if you want to call it a swing, um, to whatever he's telling me, if that's going to improve, man, he knows what he's talking about. If I would do that for a fleshly issue, God is the one who is at work in me through his spirit to shape me, to change me, to become more like himself. He is working. We heard we heard this morning that he is perfect in every way. So he is unchanging. It, it's hard for our our minds to imagine perfection. Um, everything in life, the best things in life, still are not perfect. You know, um, like was mentioned, the new phones. You know, before too long, another one's going to come out that's going to be better or claim to be better. God is perfect in every way. He is, he is beyond updates. He is perfect. And the working that he is doing is in your life goes with his character of perfection and is perfect in every way. Now, we may say, man, there's things in my life I don't understand. But you can trust that God is working them out for his honor and glory and for your good. And just as he is doing that in your life, trust that God is working in other people's lives as well. You may say, I don't see anything happening. That person's so hard, they'll never... They'll never come to know Christ. I mean, they're, they're as hard-hearted as you'll ever see. Don't limit God. God is working. You may say, man, my spouse, they this or they that. When is God going to get a hold of them? Trust that God is working. So God is the one who is at work in you. But then he goes and he says, work out your salvation He says, God is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So he's the one giving you the desire, but then he's also the one giving you the power to do his will. And he says, do all things without complaining and disputing or do all things without complaining and arguing. Uh, In the comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, they are walking through the snow and Calvin says, And some people complain all the time. They complain about the least little thing. If something bugs them, they never let it go. They just go on and on and on and on. Long after anyone is interested of what they're saying, they just complain, complain, complain. People who gripe all the time really drive me nuts. You'd think they'd change the subject for a while, but they never do. They just keep on griping until you start to wonder, what's wrong with this idiot? But they go on complaining and repeating what they've already said. Hobbes rolls his eyes. Well, maybe they're just not self-aware. 
Boy, Calvin says, that's another thing that really gets on my nerves. You get the idea of how easy it is to spot grumbling and complaining in other people. And so often we complain about the complainers. But he says, work out your salvation without do everything, all things without complaining and disputing. In James 3, it talks in, in, in our Sunday school class this morning, we went over the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You've been around somebody that sees the negative side of whatever. They could, their team could win the Super Bowl and they'd probably see the negative side of, of how bad their team played winning the Super Bowl. And how that just weighs on you, the, the power of, of the tongue, how it, it can just drag you down. It can, it can really suck the life out of someone. The importance of the tongue, that it has great power for good, if used in the right way, or it also has the great temptation and power that can be used to tear someone down. And when we as believers use our speech, use our thoughts to complain and to argue, we are not working out our salvation. In Matthew 12 and verse 34, it says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as you're going about your day and you're, oh, this weather's been lousy and grumbling and complaining about everything. Well, I'm just I'm just having a rough day. I'm just having a bad day or boy, that person treated me wrong. And that's why it just ruined my mood. I'm just having a rough mood. I'm just I'm just I guess just down a little bit today. Matthew says that out of the abundance of our heart. Our mouth speaks. Those are things that are coming from our heart that we are complaining about. When we complain, we don't have the fear of God ruling our life. It says work it out with fear and trembling If I had the fear of God ruling my life, I would say, you know what, this complaining that I'm making today, I know that God hears this. You know, maybe as a as a child, you had something, uh, you sat down for dinner and it was something that you didn't like and you knew you weren't supposed to complain about it. Now, if if you were a little bit wise, uh, you would maybe mumble it under your breath or to yourself, are we having this? You know, you wouldn't come out and say, Mom, this is gross. Why are we having this? If you were really wise, you would keep that to yourself and not say it at all, right? Because you knew, I'm not supposed to say this. I know, the once again, that the authority hears. And if we truly had the fear of the Lord, we would say, how can I make this complaint? Because all of my complaints, if I truly believe that God is in control of all things... How can I make this complaint against God? We may say, well, it's not really against God, but if he is in control of all things, all my complaining is against him. So in verse 14, it says, do all things without complaining and arguing or disputing all things. What what areas do I have left that I can say, well, at least I can complain in this area. Nothing. He says, do all things without complaining. So as you're as you're uh, serving in the church and and people don't appreciate it, you know what? Do all things without complaining and arguing as you're serving in your home and nobody appreciates it. 
Do all things without complaining and arguing. As you're at work and trying to live a life pleasing to God, do all things without complaining and disputing. So as he said, work out your salvation. Then he continues on in in verse 15, and he gives us some of the results of working out our salvation. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So a result of working out our salvation is being blameless and harmless. Uh, Being blameless is meaning being innocent. It is not talking about without sin. Uh, We can never uh, achieve a life uh, completely separate from sin, but free for, from fault. So as I have sinned, I'm taking care of it. I am seeking that person. So as I meet someone, it's not, oh man, I forgot I had done that to that person and I, I, I don't really want them to see me. No, it is taking care of our sin, knowing that, that I've taken care of it with other people and I've taken care of it before God too. That we should be blameless and harmless. Um, I think of Daniel chapter 6. And we're familiar with Daniel and the lion's den. But Daniel chapter 6, it talks about that they were looking for an accusation against Daniel. And they couldn't find anything to accuse him of. Except concerning his God. And, and you remember that. So then they, they made a trap for him of him praying to God. Now, if if they were to come and examine our life, if we had some people that said, man, we need to find something that we can accuse this person of. Would they just like what Daniel say, man, there is nothing that we can accuse this person of that we can hold against them. You know, if we were running for for uh, president of the United States, that man, we need to dig up some dirt on this person. Would we be like Daniel where they said, man, we can't find anything to hold against him. I also think of of Job in uh, chapter one where it talks about that, that Job was a man that was blameless and one and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. That Job was a man who was blameless and upright. So if if they if people were to examine our lives, would they say, you know, that person is blameless and upright and harmless. They have sought to take care of. They're not perfect, but they have sought to take care of it. So results of working our salvation being blameless and harmless. But then he says that of whom in verse 15, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, shining brightly in a crooked and perverse generation. Now, we can talk about, man, the world, look at the darkness here, the darkness there. Look at, it seems like evil is is gaining more confidence. We have this bad. You and I are to be the light that is shining, to be shining into those dark places. Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Uh, You don't take a light and hide it. You let it shine that everybody can see it. We are to shine brightly. When Benjamin Franklin um, was trying to encourage people in Philadelphia to uh, support streetlights, um, he he knew there wouldn't be a lot of support behind it. So he had he 
had to do something to help encourage it. So he decided to get a beautiful lantern. And at the end, um, in front of his house, he put this lantern on a pole And every night he would make sure that the glass was nice and clean. He would make sure that it was lit, that it was shining brightly. And he kept it polished and looking great. And when you were walking down the street, you could very clearly see this bright light that was shining. And people kept coming by because, man, that was one of the only lights in the area. And it didn't take long for a neighbor to get a lantern out in front of their house. And another neighbor to get a lantern out in front of their house. Before long, people saw the benefit of having streetlights. Now, now here in town, we see the benefit of having a streetlight. When the power goes out in town, you're like, man, this is weird how dark it is. How did he attract people to his idea? By shining as a light in the darkness. We've sung the song before, the darker the night the brighter the light shines. We talk about how dark the world is. That should make us as followers of Christ shine even brighter. If you remember at the end of of the story of Daniel and the lion's den, Daniel stayed faithful. God saved him through all of that. And and the king came and said, we know that you serve the one true God. Daniel's light was shining to the king because he was living a life obedient to God. So light brings hope into darkness. As we go out into the world, we should say, Lord, help me to be a light that brings hope into darkness. That we might bring joy to people. You know, there's nothing like being able to turn the light on and see where you're going in your house so you don't stub your toe. Light brings life. So continue to shine where God has placed you. You know, uh, lights have different purposes. You may have a spotlight that you use for something. Now, if you were to wake up and uh, you went to wake your spouse up and you flipped on your spotlight and shined it right in their face, I don't think they would appreciate it. You're not using the light for its purpose. So every light God has has a purpose, and he wants you to use your light for his glory. So a blessing and a result of working out our salvation, then it brings joy and rejoicing. We sing the song, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. We sing that song, but in the moments that that God is prompting us to obey in a certain area, and it's difficult, Are we singing, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus? Romans 8 and verse 18 says that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. As believers, we have a great and glorious future awaiting us. Now, that doesn't mean that in this life we might not face difficulty and trial. But he says in in our passage that we're looking at, holding fast to the word of life so that you may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul was saying, the laboring that I have done in your life, continue to follow God, be obedient, that it might bring great rejoicing and joy for all. 
We, we joyously look forward to the day that maybe we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. When we hear job well done, in Matthew 6, it says that God is going to reward even those things that are done in secret. That nobody else sees that you've been doing, that you've been faithfully serving God in. God is going to reward those things done in secret. So tonight the question is asked, are you getting busy and getting to work, working out your salvation? What God has done in your life and blessed you in, are you working that out in growing closer to him each day? Or are you a lazy servant of the Most High God? Are you busy doing work or are you a lazy servant of the Most High God? Because we want to live in a, in a way that brings glory to God, that brings people to God, and in a way that will one day we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your example, that you came, that you humbled yourself, that you lived a life of constant obedience to the will of the Father. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us, that we would uh, be obedient to you, that we would take seriously um, what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, you are the one empowering us. Uh, Anything good that is done is because of you, and we know and acknowledge that tonight. Lord, I pray that you would uh, encourage each one here tonight that as you have worked in their life, you have given them what they need to be obedient and to shine bright. Um, That in the neighborhood, in the workplace, that you desire them to shine as a beacon of light and hope. Uh, Lord, we give you praise tonight that you have allowed us to know you, that you love us in spite of who we are. And uh, we want to live a life that is faithful in our service to you because you are the only one who is worthy of our obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.